Hello and welcome to Wellbeing. I'm Dr. Virginia Reid and today I'm delighted to have on the program Professor Peter Gosh. Welcome, Peter. Thank you. Professor Gosh, you have a long history of research and to both osteoarthritis treatments and also the basic fundamentals, it looks like, of osteoarthritis, probably a lot of other conditions as well, but it's osteoarthritis that we're interested in today. Yeah. Just a bit about yourself. How long ago did you start looking at osteoarthritis? Well, um, I think I really started with uh, great interest when I was appointed at the University of Sydney um, back in 1972 and that was I was employed by Professor Tom Taylor who was professor foundation professor of orthopedics at the University of Sydney at the Royal Shore Hospital and um, following year a couple of years from that I was appointed director of the uh, Raymond Purvey's uh, bone and joint research laboratories and I stayed there, um, and that was enlarged and became president because it included rheumatology as well, as well as orthopedics, through to, I stayed there till 2002, and uh, it's subsequently going strong with people who we appointed after I left. So I would say, what's that term, about 30, 40 years? But when I, when I left, um, I should just point out that I left... Um, before normal retirement age because I wanted to uh, start my own research biotech company because I had a few ideas which were going to be difficult to prosecute when you're in uh, an academic environment because you can't do the things that you have to do in an environment where you have to uh, undertake confidential information for other companies. And that's difficult because it's supposed to be completely open in the uh, university setting. So um, I left to try and do some things for other people and uh, start our own company. And that has led, subsequent to leaving the university, has led to uh, quite a big project, which is the use of um, mesenchymal stem cells um, for the treatment of osteoarthritis and um, low back pain and rheumatoid arthritis in conjunction with another company. Mm, I can imagine. Quite the journey. So you'd be intimate, I would imagine, with the cellular biology of arthritis. Oh, yeah. I mean, obviously, unless you understand the etiology and the pathogenesis of the disease, you can't design appropriate therapeutic measures to target where the problem arises. It's, I mean, one of the, you know, most, the his, historical evolution of drugs to treat osteoarthritis really started off with aspirin. And from that, further studies as time went on led to the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, so-called NSAIDs. And as you know, um, they... Uh, very good at uh, reducing pain and some inflammation, but they had quite serious side effects. And this included gastrointestinal um, injury and uh, bleeding, peptic ulcers. Don't forget hypertension and fluid retention. That uh, seems to affect our older population, which is, you know, increasing rapidly to a significant extent. You know, it doesn't get included with the cardiac failure considerations, but I think as a GP it really ought to be. (laughs) 
Well, I was reading an article uh, in the uh, weekend papers about the increasing use of prosthesis and um, surgical techniques for treating osteoarthritis. And I don't know if you saw the paper in the Herald, Sydney Morning Herald, a uh, huge increase. In, it's almost doubled in the last 10 years for total joint replacements, both knees and hips. And one of the contributing factors of that is we're all living longer, so it is osteoarthritis is uh, age-determined, but also um, obesity. Obesity is an epidemic worldwide, including Australia, and so combining the two things together, age with uh, overweight and lack of exercise, um, both contribute to exacerbating the loss of cartilage and degeneration of the tissues in the joint with a corresponding need to uh, keep the patient mobile with joint prosthesis. So it is a, it is a serious problem. They say GPs, in this article, uh, GPs, one in three of the patients they see on a daily basis in their rooms uh, corresponds to musculoskeletal primarily osteoarthritis of the joints. So it is a huge problem. It is a huge problem. And one of the things that I've always wondered about um, in the veterinary world, you know, they banned non-steroidals a long time ago, I think, in horse racing, basically because if the horse continues to run on a joint that is anaesthetized, well, you know, that it gets less pain from because of the non-steroidals, it does damage to the cartilage. Yeah. Well, there was, now that goes back, um, there is a, a problem when you remove the pain. The pain is a protective mechanism, as you know. And if you remove that pain, then overuse can, and that overuse can exacerbate the uh, degenerative changes within the tissue. But what was more important, way back, one of the first publications we put out, including in the Lancet years ago, in the 70s, when I first joined the group, was that um, what those drugs were doing, endomethacin and corticosteroids and a number of others which were commonly used uh, for treating patients with osteoarthritis, was it caused uh, inhibition of the uh, repair of the damaged calf Okay, so there's a uh, cellular basis for it as well. Yeah, I wondered about that. And that was why I thought it'd be very valuable to have somebody like yourself on the show to discuss the actual cellular basis in a simple form of what actually goes wrong. It's obvious that we, you know, if you're a footballer and you've done your ligaments and things and you're rubbing those cartilages together in inappropriate ways constantly, that's fairly obvious, but the majority of people, one in three people, you know, that I'm seeing, they're not, they're not telling me that they've got this huge history. Uh, they do have a genetic component, which I also wanted to know about, uh, yeah. but, you know, they don't seem to have these huge trauma histories. Yeah, you must realise that um, those traumatic events, that is called post-traumatic osteoarthritis, and it means that the patient has actually injured the tissues during some exercises such as playing football or skiing where they tear the cruciates or they damage the meniscus. The meniscus is a, a fibrocartilaginous wedge which is between the articular cartilages of the joint and these are very commonly torn by some maybe apparently trivial exercises even 
bending down to move a sack of um, topsoil when you're gardening and rotating the joint can tear the meniscus. Now, once the meniscus is torn, which is a supportive structure in the joint, then um, that uh, we know from epidemiological studies all over the world that the injury to the meniscus, the injury to the cruciates and the collateral ligaments in the joint, within five to seven years down the track, those patients, as they progress with age, will show clinical signs, uh, symptoms and uh, pathological signs of osteoarthritis. But that should be distinguished, that, that group should be distinguished from another group of people that don't do the things you've just said. That's said to be idiopathic osteoarthritis. And the contributing factors of that are if it's multifactorial. Aging is one thing. Hormone levels is another. Menopause women who don't make estrogen are more likely to suffer, and they also put on weight, of course, or many of them do. And uh, genetic is very important. And then environmental conditions, sort of occupations that you have may also contribute. It is a complex disease because of the multiple inputs that can result in the failure of the joint. And many people will have pathological or x-ray evidence of joint tissue failure, but not all of those have symptoms. And that's still a bit of a mystery, but certainly the time when the patient comes to see you is when they have symptoms. So I think we have to say that it's a multifactorial etiopathogenesis, but when the tissue which is breaking down leads to inflammation in the joint, and that is to the synovial tissues, the synovial lining, and also causes changes in the subchondral bone, which is underneath the cartilage, then that's when we get the pain and the symptoms arising from it. And that's why in the early days, inflammation... I mean, the old British literature, going back before I even started working on it, you could still read texts where they would say that oh, it's wrong to call the definition osteoarthritis. The British system was osteoarthrosis because they said that distinguishes it from rheumatoid arthritis. Rheumatoid arthritis is an inflammatory disease through other causes where they said osteoarthritis is a degenerative disease which is failure of the tissues, like failure of the heart. The uh, same um, sort of a comparison. So... They, the, the old school back in Europe, more so in the UK, um, denied that osteoarthritis is inflammatory. But now, since then, it's obviously well recognized. And you can quite clearly understand that um, pain is associated with inflammation. In fact, cartilage, which you've just mentioned, doesn't have nerve endings. It's doesn't have blood vessels and doesn't have nerves. So the pain is not coming from the cartilage. It's coming from the subchondral bone and from the synovial tissues which uh, surround the, in the inner lining of the joint. Mm, but that inflammation helps to degrade the cartilage further so that exactly. the subchondral bone is, is further it, it exposed. Is, uh, mm, it's a vicious yeah. circle. So anything that is anti-inflammatory is also anti 
dare I say, lots and lots of things, osteoarthritis, cardiovascular disease, diabetes, et cetera, et cetera. And it seems that the more that we look at it, particularly truncal obesity, has some sort of inflammatory property in its own right, perhaps biowatering hormonal mechanisms. Yes, so what we're right. beginning to understand, it's the combination of persons like yourself who study the bone and cartilage cells and other people who, who study immunology sort of coming together a bit more with that different paradigm, which is helpful. Yeah, yeah it's about, you can't really um, appreciate or understanding the causes and the potential treatments of diseases like osteoarthritis unless you adopt a multidisciplinary approach. Clearly, it's from the surgeon's point of view, if something's degenerate and failing, take it out and replace it. Now, that, to me, is a, a, a contradictory in terms because in medicine, one should try and preserve the tissues and maintain the function of the tissues in the body uh, rather than just rip them out and replace them with artificial things. Now, I'm sure a lot of my patients would thoroughly agree with you. They're not all sort of too happy about being told that they need a joint replacement. No, no. It, and it's enormous burden on the healthcare system. I mean, the cost of doing surgery. And for older people, of course, having a, a general anaesthetic in itself, it can be quite traumatic. And the rehabilitation yeah. from a knee particularly is exactly. extensive. Yeah. I agree thoroughly. You're listening to Wellbeing and we're discussing the uh, very common and fascinating topic, it turns out, of osteoarthritis with Professor Peter Gosh. Professor Gosh, do you find that it gets a bit sort of despondent and gloomy when people's osteoarthritis really progresses because, you know, you, and particularly if they can't take non-steroidals because we have a significant proportion of the population now who have some kidney failure and then it's contraindicated yeah. um, and perhaps contributes somewhat to that as well. Do you have any hopeful messages? I mean, I came across your research because a friend had been recommended a drug that I think is still only available on the special access scheme, Pentasan, but now I find yeah. out it's actually being used in Germany for a very long time as an anticoagulant. It's in fact used in this country for interstitial nephritis. So there yeah. is a safety profile on it, etc. Do you yeah, mind discussing Pentasan with us? Well, there's a, I can give you an answer to that very clearly. When I first started at the North Shore Hospital and we were examining what drugs have deleterious effects on cartilage, in other words, exacerbate the progression of disease. So if you were taking, you had osteoarthritis knee joints and you were prescribed indomethacine or corticosteroids, you got short-term effect, but in the long term, it could be worse. That was really contradictory to what these drugs were supposed to do. So we were looking quite widely, the team that I headed, and looking at other molecules or drugs which are around which might um, have some positive effects on the enzymes. Then we're focusing on the enzymes which um, break down the cartilage and also improve the viability and function of the cells, the chondrocytes which were in cartilage. And I won't go into full details, but we found out that um, in the screening process that a group of molecules which were called polysulfated polysaccharides did have a positive effect on blocking the enzymes which degrade the cartilage. But at the same time, they also stimulated 
themselves which were struggling to survive in this environment um, to, to uh, start making new molecules to replace the ones that were lost. And out of that, we found quite a potent one which was called pentazone polysulfate. Now, as an academic, um, there's very little I could do about that because it would be an industrial matter to take it through to the patients. But um, I went and saw a company that made it in Germany, uh, and they said, look, we have been doing research on this mainly for ischemia as a, a prophylactic drug for clots to stop them after operations. And we're going back 70 years when they first started doing research on this. And they said, look, um, you have an interest in this and you have the knowledge and specialists. If you want to do research on it, we will support you as much as we can. And, um, but just we're not going to do any clinical work. We're not going to do any preclinical work to substantiate your early finding. So that's when we came back to Australia. And then I did a lot of work there and showed and published. It's all published in the literature. It was all um, available for anyone to see. And I had a veterinarian working for me who said, well, maybe we should try it in some dogs. So he did a study in a dog, and it was very successful. And then he went on to um, start a company which was using dogs and it went on to horses. So it's been used for 30 years in animals and um, in 23 countries throughout the world for osteoarthritis and, and uh, joint problems in dogs and, and domestic animals as well as large animals and horses. But then um, we decided to try and do a study in humans in an academic environment and with the rheumatology department at North Shore and rheumatology uh, Dr. Jack Edelman in Perth who has uh, been a leading rheumatologist there, who I happen to know personally for a number of years, we did the first double-blind placebo-controlled study in humans with an intramuscular subcutaneous injection of pentazone polysulfate. And that was published uh, in the journals and subsequently taken up by a Japanese group in um, Nagasaki who confirmed that in their patients. Um, you might say, well, why on earth hasn't this been used for commercial use? Mm. And the reason is there's no patent on it. So as often happens, pharmaceutical industry is not going to invest millions and millions of dollars of developing a new drug unless they got a monopoly on it. The monopoly is conferred by patents. Mm. And so because it wasn't patented, there was a reluctance for anyone to take it up. But subsequently to that, after I left the university, I, with some support from uh, other scientists in the group, I was able to put a patent in to show that it reduced the bone marrow edema, which is the pain origin in joints, particularly osteoarthritic joints. And that pain origin arises generally from traumatic injury. For example, um, falling down on the ground, you know, when you're jogging or something like this. Even if the cartilage is, is not too bad, if you damage the bone and, uh, and the bone is the origin, one of the origins of pain, but it also then affects the function of the cartilage. 
And there's, there's groups in, in all over the world, particularly in Melbourne and in University of Tasmania, which do MRI, and they have shown that once the um, load bearing on the subchondral bone increases because of the decreased efficiency of the cartilage, then the subchondral bone undergoes quite profound changes. And that is a, a cause of part of the problem. So what we're learning now, which is probably the take-home message, is that osteoarthritis is not just a disease of cartilage. It is a disease of a joint. And all the tissues in the joint, the synovial lining, the subchondral bone, the menisci, which are all supportive of uh, the homeostasis within that tissue, they all contribute to the welfare of that joint. And if either of those fail independently or in combination, and then the disease progresses to full symptomatic uh, array and failure. So now there's a patent on the treatment of bone marrow edema with pentazam polysulfate. 50% of patients with bone marrow edema also have osteoarthritis. And so by treating the bone marrow edema, which is one component of the disease, you can improve the symptoms of and um, physiology of the uh, tissues in that joint. And that's why that promotion, I don't have anything to do with that company anymore um, that uh, was responsible for all the publicity associated with that. Um, but it is, in my opinion, a very rational way of uh, looking after patients with both post-traumatic and also um, idiopathic um, osteoarthritis. Who would be best to speak to about the safety profile of this drug? Well, I can tell you, they have I've done a survey of that, of the number. There's been multi-millions of patients being injected with pentazam polysulfate, you can imagine, over 70 years. And provided it's been made by the company in Germany, the FDA specifications, it's approved by the FDA, they come and inspect and at the, at the moment, that's only happening through special access for some AFL players, from what I can gather. Yeah, that's correct, yes. Right. And why yeah. is that? Why is it only special access to, to people who beg and plead? It will eventually, once it's approved by the TGA. The process of getting a drug approved by TGA or the FDA, it can take, you know, minimum of four to five years you have to prove safety. But in the meantime, people are getting on with it, I hate to have to tell you, and using it, obviously. And this particular osteopath has managed to get it through a compounding pharmacist in a nasal form, not even the tablets. Well, yeah. Uh, uh, I would say this, and I say this with all um, evidence that it's available over the years. There are, anyone can say they can make pentazam polysulfate. And it's available in India and in, in China and the United States. But if you give it to an animal and perhaps something goes wrong, it may not be so safe. But if you cause problems with humans, then it's an extreme liability to anyone who uses it. And no one's going to take that risk. So no, especially not the GPs, trust me. No, no. <laughs> yeah, well, they are. So I will only deal with the German company in my research, and I will only um, do any clinical studies with the German material made and inspected by the FDA 
with good manufacturing process in a the latest factory they build is say forty million euros just to build this stuff this plant uh, all computer controlled in a german run environment is in my opinion one of the best in the world now i'm not saying that no one else could ever do this but at this point in time for me this is the primary source yes are we allowed to know then the name of that company yeah it's called benny pharmachem i mean they're on the web there's no there's nothing secret about it B-E-N-E, B-E-N-E, Benny, then P-H-A-R-M-A, Pharmachem, that's C-H-M-E, Benny Pharmachem, but Benny will get you there. And, but they won't sell the drug to, they're a manufacturer, they don't sell to the public. No, but they may be able to, to, to let people know where the outlets are for their drugs. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, aspirin was the original drug, and that was Bayer, and that was German, and you know they've been in the manufacturing of drugs game for a very long time. Yeah, of course, Herx. Well, the big pharmacies, they're the biggest in the world before uh, Pfizer and the others came along. Uh, they were the major producers. But one thing you you raised earlier that pentazan polysulfate is available in Australia and other parts of the world. Uh, for treating a disease called interstitial cystitis, which is the incontinence in in um, males and females, largely females, and pain associated with the bladder. Absolutely. But it seems to be very not really taken up by a lot of people, um, a lot of no. GPs. I didn't know about it until now. And, you know, you would think it would be a pretty handy drug. But the reason for this is that um, it's pentazone polysulfate is very poorly absorbed orally, very poorly absorbed orally. For osteoarthritis and bone marrow and obviously it's given by systemic injection, either intramuscularly or subcutaneously. Now, you know, for a patient who's got interstitial cystitis, they don't want to have injections regularly, as you might, so orally has been the route. And when it's given orally, there's a huge number of variables for oral absorption of drugs, diet, um, genetic backgrounds, a whole host of things can influence it. So the oral absorption is 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 not considered as a very... I should imagine that'll be the major stumbling block because otherwise I'd know about yeah. it, if you know what I mean. You just hear about yeah. these things. And it seems to me that pentazan is becoming more and more popular with people, <laughs> thanks to the vets. Yeah. And, uh, yes... I just can see that it's, it's going to happen. Thank you so much for your time and your expertise. I really appreciate it. Uh, it's incredible that you would have done this research for this length of time and come to these conclusions and <laughs> we're only just finding out about it. But that's the scientific world. It takes a really long time. Well, I'm still working on it, I might add. I'm Fantastic. Not, I'm, I'm still, I can't let it go. It's such an important thing to me. Well, that's a proper elder. I work in Indigenous health as well, and that's a proper elder does that. Okay. okay. <laughs> Thank you very much, Professor Peter Gosh, for a very interesting discussion on osteoarthritis, both its causation in all its complexity and a potential treatment that may become available to us hopefully soon through the TGA. You're very welcome. I'm Dr Virginia Reid and all of us here at Wellbeing would like to say that we wish you well.